Welcome to the She Wore Black podcast. I'm Agatha Andrews. Today, I've invited author Chris Walder to talk about Mary Shelley, the beloved gothic icon who penned Frankenstein as a teenager and whose life was truly stranger than fiction. Chris has a book coming out this fall called Unnatural Creatures, which is about the women of Frankenstein, and she will be back for a deep dive into that novel later this year. If you want to support the podcast and the cost that goes into show production, you can buy books at our online bookstore at bookshop.org slash shop slash she wore black. Any purchase you make from that link will also help support independent bookstores nationwide. For updates on the podcast, you can visit my website or follow us on Twitter and Instagram. If you have a moment, please leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us today. Now, on to the show. Well, welcome, Chris. How are you? I'm great. I'm so excited to be here. I love your podcast, Agatha. (gasps) Thank you so much. (laughs) That makes me very happy to know that uh, an author of a book I love, uh, it likes the podcast too. So yay. Um, Well, I've invited for anyone who doesn't know Chris Walder, um, she has already got a book out that is gothic and totally my jam, The Lost History of Dreams. And uh, now she will be coming out with one in October called Unnatural Creatures, which is about the women in Frankenstein. And uh, Um, So we're going to have her back for that um, in October, because I wanted to have a whole episode specifically about this book, but I've invited you on to talk about Mary Shelley today. I want to dive right in because I think that Mary Shelley is as compelling as any Gothic novel. Like she is, she really is. I mean, there's so many stories about her and if they're not true, they they ought to be like, there's one story about (laughs) Well, let's start at the beginning that her mother was Mary Wollstonecraft, who was very famous, you know, known as mother of feminism, and that she died um, 11 days after giving birth to Mary Shelley Mm -hmm. of childbirth fever. So already Mary Shelley has had a tragic start to life, so to speak. So she never knows her famous mother, who bears the same name as her. It's kind Mm -hmm. of like this talk about gothic doubling in a way. Yeah. So you have to remember that Mary Shelley's main relationship with her mother is through her writings. So that's something that I find really, really touching and sad and brilliant. You know, for those of you who don't know, uh, a very leading feminist of her time, Um, someone she wrote, uh, The Vindication of the Rights of Women. She was very progressive in her thoughts and met up with Mary Shelley's father, um, who also had very progressive thoughts for his time. So basically these two super famous, <laughs> you know, and famous in the terms of, of intellectual circles at that time. Right. And they were radicals and they were the center yeah. of a whole intellectual circle as well, because you have to remember that William Godwin had his own publishing company and bookstore and so on and so forth. So it was a natural magnet for these people. Um, but going back to Mary Wollstonecraft, the one thing that always, I think, kind of surprises people is that she chose to marry William Godwin when she became pregnant with Mary. Mary mm-hmm. Jr., should we say? Yes. It gets confusing with all the Marys. I know. Um, and, but she had had a child before that out of wedlock with um, William Imlay, 
mm-hmm. who had been a, a writer as well as a businessman. And it was like a brief kind of passionate affair that did not end well. Um, so she had already had a daughter named Fanny born out of wedlock. And then she'd also been involved with Fuseli, the, the painter who we all know the painting of the, the nightmare of it's used for so many images having to do with Mary Shelley and Mary Wollstonecraft of the women dressed in white, kind of thrown over the bed with the, there's like a succubus and then there's this, you know, kind of hell horse over her. So this is the kind of imagery that is, is informing her life that it's just, Again, if it's not true, it ought to be, but it is true. That's what's so amazing about it. Yeah. Why oftentimes with, with these particular groups of people, uh, you know, reality is crazier than fiction (laughs) Yeah, Um, because there's a lot of documentation and letters and things. It's not as though this stuff is, is completely manufactured out of thin air. There's documentation for a lot of this information. What I don't like, I guess, is rather when people try to say, well, if she's a feminist, how could she do this? Kind of going back to what you were saying. How can she marry? How could she? And I think what people- Mary Wollstonecraft. Yes, Mary Wollstonecraft. I'm sorry. Um, I think what people need to remember is that that everyone is still a human. Everyone still like falls in love. Everyone is also like everyone- you can be an idealist, you can be a philosopher, you can want a lot of basic human rights and still want to fall in love. You can still want to have children. You can still want to be married. And to act like we can't have both is actually anti-feminist. We can be a feminist and want a family. You know, it's- I, I, I completely agree with you. Um, the interesting thing, though, is that even though Godwin and Wollstonecraft were wed, um, they kind of created their own lifestyle the way that they yes. wanted to, which was much more equitable than you would expect of a traditional relationship of that era. Um, and he was totally bereft when she died, of course. Mm-hmm. I mean, who wouldn't be, but especially so that he turned around, and this is the other really crazy story, is that he published a book, a memoir of her life, which basically was, she was such a radical, she did this, she had affairs, and she had a child out of wedlock, which people did not respond the way he expected. <laughs> so it ended up undermining Mary Wollstonecraft's um, reputation for about a good half century. Yeah. Oh, people. Basically, he shut, he slut-chained her. <laughs> yeah and what hmm. (laughs) you're right you know crazy story I know it goes back to the dichotomy of of philosophy versus the way you live your life right Um, well I think that that was something that William Godwin was not very attuned to the nuances especially when you consider for example that the way that Percy Shelley entered their lives was that William Godwin went after him hoping to kind of get some money off him Mm -hmm. and so there you have that well and of course Shelley being a poet yeah well that I've got a story about that too right yeah yeah yeah. there's lots and lots of stories yeah (laughs) (laughs) But um, going back to her life and how like I first came to learn about her, and I'm curious about how you came to learn about her, because for one, like a lot of teenagers like that I worked with, they didn't even know Frankenstein was written by a woman. The presumption is always that it was by a man. And not only that, a a very, very young woman at that. Um, And backing up even further, I had not made the connection between Mary Wollstonecraft and Mary Shelley until 
later, even after I had learned about who Mary Shelley was. So it was just kind of interesting. I learned about Mary Wollstonecraft being her mother. I was an art history undergrad. So I learned about Judy Chicago and her dinner table. Oh, yes. Have you ever visited it? It's not no, that I've far never from where seen I live it. in Brooklyn. It's so moving. It's oh. so moving. I have yeah. three books about that one work of art, but I've it's, never it's, seen it. It's really wonderful. Well, next time you're in Brooklyn. Okay. <laughs> it's a date. I assume it's still there. I, have, I haven't been to the Brooklyn Museum since the before times, before the pandemic, but it's wonderful. Well, so for those who don't know what it is, it's a very large table. It's an installation piece. And there are individual place settings for significant women in history. And some of them are like mythological figures, but other ones are historical figures. And there is a place setting and every single element that goes into this place setting, every glass, every uh, plate, every, I don't want to say a place map, but that's kind of what it is. A little runner that goes over each and each individual place setting is designed to represent that particular woman. And the one with Mary Wollstonecraft is gorgeous, but it does reference her death and childbirth. Um, and that is, and I was like, well, what happened here? And that is how I learned about her being Mary Shelley's mother. I don't know how you, if you remember your yeah. origin story there. You um, know, I feel like I've always been kind of aware of their connection, but I didn't have the full, full, full story until I began researching for our natural creatures. Um, and that goes back to my love of Frankenstein, which was I mean, it's one of my like top books along with like Jane Eyre and, and I, I just remember reading it the first time I must've been 12 years old and I was a huge horror fan at the time, like Dracula and other things and you know, yeah. Stephen King, whoever. And then I read Frankenstein, which is really, though it, it has horror elements. It's ultimately a story really about parental loss, mm -hmm. which makes such perfect sense when you think about Mary Shelley and her own story with her, with her loss of her mother. So I was tangentially aware of it, but it was only when I was writing that I did the deep dive and saw okay. that, oh, she's so much more. And there's yeah. so much going on that goes beyond the stories that we know about Mary Shelley in the graveyard, you know, Mary Shelley and her mother dying. Well, let's go back to Mary Shelley in the graveyard because I know yeah, our listeners. It's a great story, right? Yeah, I know our listeners <laughs> will, will be interested in this. My son had a very, like, um, there's some, some early biographies that are really beautifully illustrated and everything. And one of his biographies that he, the one, one of the ones he liked the most, he also really liked Agatha Christie's was the Mary Shelley one. And there's a picture of her, um, at the mother's graveyard. And he and I, like, he's been going with me to cemeteries since he was a tiny baby. Um, and actually during the pandemic, cemeteries wound up being a place, a sanctuary for us because there wasn't a lot of places you could go where you could safely socially distance, but he was able to run free through historical cemeteries while I did my research. It's something that's compelling. Like the idea of I'm looking at my child processing her sitting at her mother's grave. And I just think that that's something, you know, Orphans were always huge in children's literature. You worked in children's literature. You know how, like, oh, they're just yeah, sort of absolutely. everywhere. Um, and that was something, you know, survival, 
survivalism is is something that is in in young people's literature just in general whether it's um oh it, it, i grew up in the 80s so for us it was always like oh what happens in a nuclear holocaust you know same, same, <laughs> you know same yeah <laughs> so, yeah yeah no it was very much on our minds all the time yeah and blue lagoon had come out and i remember so if i wasn't pretending to be a survivalist on an, a deserted island i was trying to be a survivalist like after a nuclear holocaust and this is how i you spent know, my childhood i never thought of, I never <laughs> thought of the connection between those two but that makes perfect sense because i remember blue lagoon and i remember all of those what was it called like the day after there was that movie was that what it was called the day after and there was also testament that was on like an hbo loop yeah well that one was like the more kind of you know like artsy one that one actually stayed with me more than the day after because you have compelling conversations between like the mother and children where she's like hey mom i'm probably not going to live. Tell me about sex, you know? And it's funny how like these weren't horror movies. They were movie, they were like, what if, you know, kind of situations, but it did tap into that element of my mind that has always been interested in in the Gothic and been interested in horror because these are horrifying situations. You know, it's it's interesting to tie this back to Mary Shelley. You know, she wrote a book called the last man. Yes. Which was about the last person who survived and I think that and I think I mean this isn't really I've known others have written this but it's clear that she perceived herself that way especially after the death of Percy Shelley Mm -hmm. when I think she was what like 23 or something when he when he drowned off the Mm -hmm. coast of Italy and she survived Byron Byron who died in Greece and you know she really saw herself as the survivor Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of sorrow in that as well. Yeah. Well, so the whole thing with the graveyard, because I keep, I mean, there's so many things to say. I keep moving off of it, but going back to that, the, it's such an I mean, the Brontes, <laughs> ha- the Brontes house was situated with a graveyard. Right on the graveyard. House. Yeah. And yeah. I believe that Mary Shelley's mother was buried very close to her home. Yeah. I think she was reinterred later um, somewhere else. I'm not, or maybe Mary Shelley was, um, but Mary Wollstonecraft believe- was buried close to the home and so she was yeah. able to have access to that graveyard well, her father would, would take her to yeah. visit her mother basically like let's yeah. go visit mom in the graveyard and that's mm-hmm. when she was time she was a small child so mm-hmm. yeah and so i think in england image. they were yeah in england they were buried maybe you know they're, uh, differently than they are here in the united states where we have this insane amount of land <laughs> you know mm-hmm. i've done a little re- like cemetery research history and and how where we've positioned our our graveyards is a little different than the way they did it in england where there's just more accessibility they're in the middle of town like you know mm-hmm. as you're walking around and 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 that was not necessarily the case all the time here um depending on what depending on how far west you travel anyway <laughs> so yeah. And Texas were very spread out. So, um, but anyway, yeah, I just thought that was interesting because I feel like, you know, she was sort of living that life that I'd always imagined, you know, I would read, uh, you know, a lot of Dickens and stuff also when I was a child and you just always sort of imagine yourself like, what would I, what would I do in this situation? So I think that her life is actually a bigger gateway into Gothic than there's, than a lot of fiction, you know, because she's living that life that we thought about so much. Well, absolutely. Especially when you consider that her father remarried when I think she was like four to their next door neighbor, mm-hmm. uh, Mary Jane Claremont, and who already had, I think, two children, I think two children. Yeah. Or was it one? Um, yeah. Two children, a boy and a girl. I mean, the one that we all of course hear of is that she had her, marriage had her stepsister name. 
Claire, the famous yeah. Claire Claremont, um, who they had a whole complicated relationship onto themselves, but there's just all these layers of complicated family relationships. And, you know, because she never got along well with her stepmother. The Steve, so yeah. That. Yeah. So there's that element. So, yeah. The, the mean stepmom and the, yeah. The mean stepmom. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that actually winds up helping propel her out of the house at an early age. But let's go back to what a lot of teens also latch on to, which is falling for the romantic poet. And again, having worked in high school, this is yeah, what the happens. Poet. Yeah, the romantic poet who was about, what, five years older than her, he was already yeah. married with two children. Yeah. And so what does he do? They run off to Europe together. Um, and she's like presumably 16. after right like isn't she like 16 17 she I believe she was 15 or 16 oh, good Lord. um yeah I know as a parent I'm a parent of a 17 year old <laughs> so yes um so it was 1814 yeah so she must have been 16 because she was born 1797 I believe and um not only that but they took Claire her stepsister along with her which I guess three's company only it really wasn't, but they were struggling financially and they were kind of thought, oh, we're just going to go basically and live on love. And it didn't go so well as you can imagine. So they came back to England and um, Mary was pregnant and had a child mm -hmm. in 1815. And the child only, unfortunately, only didn't live very long. And then, but they continued their relationship, even though at the time that um, Godwin wouldn't allow Mary or Claire back into the household. So there was all this family estrangement and good times. And meanwhile, you've got your 16, 17 year old kid who's, you know, basically knocked up by the poet who's married to somebody else. And it's just a huge mess. Well, she, and this goes back to let's hold him accountable the same way people try to hold Mary Wollstonecraft accountable with regard to yeah. he's supposed to be this person aggressive, like polyamorous person who's like got big ideas on free love. Don't get and me everything. started on Percy. Don't get yeah. me started on Percy. Well, well, I'm talking about her father. <laughs> oh, her as father well. too. Yeah. 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 Like he's, he's, but he doesn't, those same rules don't apply to his own daughter. <laughs> as far as he's concerned well, but also at the same time yeah. you have to remember that godwin did continue his relationship with shelley because chrissy shelley not mary shelley they weren't even married yet then um because he wanted money from him yeah to help support his his company so it's a real mess percy shelley like has these a lot of admiration for mary's father and so he hangs out at her house and does the the cool philosopher poet thing and just you know right. great minds and think so, alike let's yeah. hang out at this point percy is still in his father's good graces and still has money coming in from his father as well it's he's so just, drama he's so drama i feel like i feel like we need like a diagram to i know show how all of these relationships connect because it can be really it's just like and then what happened and meanwhile these are just bunch of like really a bunch of like angsty teenagers and 20 something year olds who are that's doing right they're teenagers in early imagine. 20s yeah and so anyway he's hanging out at her that's how he meets mary shelley yep um and they connect sex in the graveyard the whole thing right but you know more food. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing one of the things that happens though as mary runs away with with percy by shelley she's swept off her feet right and she runs away with him but is that uh 
I don't know if you've read the book, um, The Monsters, Mary Shelley and the Curse oh, of Frankenstein. Yeah, it's great. I so it talks about of, that yeah. famous Gothic summer, but it gives, a, what I like about it is that it gives a lot of background that leads up to their very famous Gothic summer. And um, yeah, it's like what you were saying. He, he comes in, he meets Mary Shelley, he falls for her sweeps her off her feet. They go, they go away, but he like, he woos her with his romantic poetness, but he doesn't really treat her the best, you know, like if they're, they're yeah. walking around Europe because at this point his dad cuts them off financially and like they have a, like a horse or a pony or something. It's a donkey. He, yeah. He rides it and has because her he, walk. Because, well, because he hurt his foot. I think it's some the story is that he hurt his She was pregnant. <laughs> I yeah, it was crazy. Um, yeah, no, there's that story, and oh, there's just so many things. Like, because I read those diaries where then it's like, well, to get back, we only have so much money, so I guess we'll take this river cruise up the way, even though I have, you know, I get seasick and so on and so forth. It's just you look at this and you remind yourself that she is what 16, 17 years old yes. doing this, and you yes. think. Percy, you're a few years older. You're already married. You should know better. <laughs> well, the other thing too that always surprises, well, it doesn't surprise me, but I, it doesn't surprise because I think in her heart of hearts, Mary Shelley is a survivor. Yes. yes. That is what she is. So at one point, Shelley, like, of course, he's been cut off as you, as you mentioned. And to make money, she turns around and she writes these travel guides based on their adventures adventures if you will hashtag whatever hashtag air quotes um and she publishes them to make money for them in order to support him because Shelley's too busy doing his poet thing being a strange family <laughs> that's the perfect way to phrase it too he's just too busy doing his poet thing <laughs> I know I know well she what was it 1817 the year before Frankenstein is published which was 1818 um history of six weeks tour and she takes all of their adventures that they had in 18 was 1815 and she totally recasts it about the donkey and everything else and it's actually a really good read it's very a lot of color in it and I don't want to disparage poets um because there's a lot of hard I mean Poe was a very hard-working poet you know he worked very hard Hard, and people have a very romantic idea of him in just walking around in an alcoholic haze. But there, if you actually look at his, like the truthful biography of him, for example, you'll see that he was actually a very hard, diligent worker and, you know, had very hard opinions on how like prose should be and everything and wrote essays about this. And, and Percy Shelley, definitely, he was born in privilege and he continued to live his life as such, even when he didn't have any money. Um, no, it's and, true. It's true. Yeah. So I, you know, my hard opinions about, about Percy by Shelley is, is, partially based on I think he's living the life he thinks a poet should live rather than what a lot of poets wind up doing which is working very hard on the craft and I think that he was a gifted person who cared about the craft but didn't care about the people around him and those things are not always synonymous you know they're no it's not always that you're a terrible like you're a terrible person and a great poet you can be both like a, a good person and a good poet you know? well you know that's interesting to tie back to when they first ran away the first time 1815 mm -hmm. that they went to Europe um if you read they had a shared journal that they wrote in together um both Percy and Mary with kind of like we did this we did that and they were shared and then as 
time went on, it all soon became only Mary writing, which kind of symbolizes what happened in their relationship to a certain extent. And of course, add in the presence of Claire, her stepsister, who had her own thing going on with Shelley. And I don't know, like some people believe that they did have a fair, others think that they didn't. Um, but there was definitely a lot of sexual tension going on that was very triangulated and poor Mary being pregnant and just kind of stuck being the adult, if you will, among the three. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. Well, and then didn't Claire have a thing going on with Byron? That's the next point I'm yeah, well, because, all right, so let's, let's, let's go back. All right, so yes. we have the 1815, they run off, they go to Europe, they have their six weeks adventure with a donkey, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Head back <laughs> I to- love how it's like the six weeks adventure with the donkey. <laughs> yeah. Next point. <laughs> right. Um, well, I write about women's history. I also did a book right, right. Queens. That's kind of like this. Um, so then they head back to England where they're estranged from William Godwin and as well as Shelley's estranged from his family, Percy Shelley, not Mary Shelley. And there's such little money that the two of them are not even living together because they're concerned that creditors are going to come and take what little yes. things they have. Yes. So they would only meet like on Sundays at the local public house, which was the one day that creditors weren't allowed to basically confront you and arrest you. Mm-hmm. So it was not the most um, relaxing romantic experience, shall we say. No, and especially pregnant. <laughs> well, yeah. And having a child that died. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Um, so, all right, so that's, that's 1815, so on and so forth. So then, and what happened was in 1816, back to Claire and Byron, um, Claire basically decided she wanted a poet of her own. (laughs) (laughs) So she went out to Byron, (laughs) yes, and she would come to his, she came to his hotel, I think, to, I don't, I don't want to say seduce him, but to basically be like, hi, I think you're really cool. And so she has an affair with him. And unbeknownst to everybody involved, um, she becomes pregnant. Mm-hmm. And so they all decide to go back to Europe, or at least Claire wants them to go to Europe to go yeah. visit Byron in Geneva. Um, so they take off, they go back 1816, which of course was known as the, the year without a summer because there had been a volcano eruption in Indonesia. And so the weather was just really, really awful. Mm-hmm. Dark and stormy night, et cetera, et cetera. And that brings us to the birth of Frankenstein. So and all together in Geneva, before, June 1816. Yeah. Before we dive into this spectacular story that, I mean, a lot of people are going to know, but a lot of people honestly might not. Um, I didn't know about this story until I was a senior in high school. And um, we're going to, to, to talk next about, you know, the very famous Gothic summer where Mary Shelley writes Frankenstein. And I don't know how you first learned about this, but do you watch Gilmore Girls? I do not. Okay. Is well, how you learned about it? No, what I'm going to say is that you know, the, the character, the daughter, her name is Rory, uh, you know, right. falls for this sort of bad boy. Who's also like really into books and music, like, and, and he, they try to woo each other with basically their knowledge of books and like, you know, so I had just, 
I had that same experience with someone who I wound up dating for six years. But when I was a senior in high school, I met someone who would like try to woo me with his knowledge of books and poetry and, and all of the stuff. And, um, and he was a bad boy like Jess Mariano. So I basically had a Jess Mariano, but because it was 1991, he looked like Eddie Vedder and not like Rocky. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it worked. Um, <laughs> it totally worked because he's telling me the story about the Gothic summer that I had no idea how it, how it came about. And, um, and it's just kind of funny because in a way that's also what happens with Mary Shelley, as far as like, she was swept off her feet by a writer and, and, you know, this is how I was swept off my feet by a writer. <laughs> And my I little think 16, all of us 17. literary types, we kind of we kind of yes. want that thing sweep off, swept off our feet, right, right. especially a poet. You know, and I was the same age. I mean, at that time, I guess I was seventeen, but you know, I was just like, oh my gosh, I was a trope. <laughs> but but it know, There's a reason. There's a reason why tropes yes. feel so pertinent. But there's I fell in love with them. Mary Shelley. You know, I really did because I just kind of felt like this story was it was actually fairly empowering, no matter how much she dealt with, she wrote a very profound piece at the end of the day that has continued to stay with us. And I'd love for you to kickstart how this story goes for us on this podcast. Oh, right. The, the famous, the yes. famous story of the Villa Diodati, I assume it's yes. pronounced because I don't speak Italian. Um, <laughs> okay. So back to Claire, her stepsister, who they don't really know she's pregnant with Byron's child. And mm -hmm. so Claire says, I really, really want to go to Geneva to let's go visit Byron, who has let this villa on the shores of Lake Geneva. I'm sure he'll be thrilled to see us. Mm -hmm. And Shelley, of course, wanting to have Byron's approval, says, great idea. Mary Shelley swept along. So they travel. This time, I think they have a little more money. It's a little more comfortable. And they end up renting a house that is right next to um, Byron's and because it is the year without a summer there's a lot of stormy nights and they end up spending all the time up in at the Villa Diodetti and one night after they've read these book of German ghost stories um, they decide to have a competition of who could write the most horrific and frightening story ghost story or otherwise and that's kind of how it all began so we had um, Byron, I, I can't remember exactly what he wrote, but I know that one of the people who was staying with Byron was uh, John Polidori, who was his personal physician. Yes. And he wrote what many considered to be the first vampire story, which ironically, everyone believed that Byron wrote because the character who, the way that, that the character who is the vampire in the story is described, many assumed that he was Byron. Yes. So there's, that's one literary. Well, he wrote the very sexy vampire kind of vampire who was um, like yeah. an aristocratic kind of fellow instead of like the yeah. gross monster. He wrote him as like a very compelling Gothic. Yeah. Theme. Yeah. And I think it was actually published with Byron's name on it, which okay, did not grief. make Polidori very happy. So that's the one famous piece of literary accomplishment, if you will, that came out of um, that summer um, at the Villa Diodetti. But the other one, of course, is Mary Shelley and Frankenstein, which what's interesting to me is that it wasn't until the 1831 edition, which was published after 
you know, there was the 1818 edition, which came out and it didn't have her name on it. So everyone assumed that Shelley had written it because it had been um, dedicated to William Godwin when it was actually Mary had dedicated. And then there was the 1823 uh, edition, which Mary um, had put out when she returned to London after Shelley's death in 1822, um, in which her name was finally on. And then finally we have the, we have the 1831, it was like the special edition because by then Shelley, um, Frankenstein had become such a, you know, so popular on so mm -hmm. many levels. So that was then that Shelley had written this forward that gives us the story that we all know as the birth of Frankenstein, that after they had had this evening of probably like drinking a lot of wine or whatever, oh, yeah. who knows what else, and reading these German ghost stories that she went to bed determined to think of the story. And that's when she had the famous dream of seeing, I think it describes the student of the unhallowed arts, mm -hmm. trying to put the spark of of life into this inanimate creature. And then she saw the eye open and it lived. Well, and what I love about this story though, is that, okay, so you and I like romance, right? It's sort of like yeah. where uh, you, those those stories where they're like trapped inside. <laughs> <laughs> oh, forced proximity. Yes, yes, thank you. I was trying to remember the trope name, forced proximity. Yeah, not, not only one bed. <laughs> I know. I was like, it's not only one bed. It's close. It's close. It's forced it's, proximity. Yeah. It's yeah. the same idea, except instead of like forced proximity for sex, which they, they all had anyway, um, like it's forced proximity for, for writing. And I just think that it's, it's just so compelling because it's, it's something that should be fictional, but it's, it's compelling reality. And I, so when he wooed me, uh, my fella, um, that I was dating back then, he showed me that that movie called Gothic with oh, Gabriel Byrne. Yeah, and an I just movie. remember, oh. like, <laughs> I will never forget, like the nipples that were eyeballs. Like, <laughs> well, but Shelley did have a vision yes. of that, but years later, but yes. he was like stoned out of his mind, and <laughs> you know, he used to did this thing that for a while he was a, he was a vegetarian. And he didn't eat very much. So he would eat like he would take like bread and ball it and then eat like these balls of, of like kind of compressed bread to keep oh himself boy. alive. It was it was not a, a healthy situation, shall we say. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I, I, I have to say that I have read and I read and I've watched so many versions of Frankenstein in that story and and I couldn't get through the Ken Russell film Gothic. I just, I just got to a certain point. I was like, you know what? I just can't. Sorry. I felt the same. I was like, he showed yeah. me this movie and I'm like, I can't, <laughs> I can't do this. You know? yeah, yeah. And so what I was really interested though, is back when A&E used to be good, um, they did those A&E biographies and they did one on Mary Shelley. And I'm like, okay, this is good. <laughs> like it was the story. Mm -hmm about how, um, so they talked about how she had actually seen, um, like in medical, like you used to be able to go and sit in an audience of surgeries or medical experiments. And she had seen them trying to, you know, energize inanimate, like a dead life with electricity and stuff. So like some of these things that were happening in science at the time were running through her head. Otherwise she wouldn't have been able to write it anyway, as far as like, she's writing, something that's gothic but also a reflection of her time um, well yeah like all yeah. And, plus, and, and plus you also have to remember that she was in this really intellectual circle yes. but that's the other interesting thing that i i was kind of surprised to learn when i did my deep dive into mary shelley and her circle while writing on natural creatures is that percy shelley's nickname was victor 
and he used to do experiments in his 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 rooms when he was at school um and he also had written a collection of poems with a sister whose name was elizabeth the same name as victor frankenstein's bride and frankenstein um, which he published under the name. I don't know if they actually published or they just wrote it as a manuscript under the name of Victor Shelley. Oh my gosh. No, I didn't Yeah, so that. there's also all these other connections because Shelley, Percy Shelley was very interested in, you know, electricity and chemistry and all these other things. So it was something that they definitely spoke about. There's a lot of cross-pollination going on. Yeah, yeah. Um, But I know that she was very much aware of, there was a famous experiment, I think it was Galvani, um, that he or somebody had used a spark of electricity to bring a bring to bring a piece of vermicelli alive mm -hmm. something like that um so she was aware of it i don't know if she actually went to these huge demonstrations i know at the time that there were a lot of scientific demonstrations that was kind of considered like an entertainment thing to do where you would go to some place and you would watch them play with like static electricity and other things yeah i think that's what it was like the yeah. royal academy was doing some yeah they had a lot things. of that going on yeah. um i i feel yeah, like i remember that but that i mean don't hold me to it i'm just somebody who's been sort of fan girling about mary shelley you know? well there uh, was the l did you see the l fanning um film of mary shelley that there's a scene that's very similar to that and okay. it ties it into the nightmare that she has which she described in the 1831 edition of frankenstein as spurring her writing of it Okay. No, I haven't seen that one yet. It is on my it's list. It's really, it's actually good. I mean, it's not yeah. accurate, but it's, it's good. It's not, it's not Ken Russell. Let's put it that way. You'll be able to sit through it without feeling like, you know what? I was like, I think I'll I'm be okay here. after watching Gothic. <laughs> yeah. After I, watching I, that, I, I'm I sure it's a, fine. <laughs> and I, 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 I've liked Ken Russell's film. He actually did this really wonderful film, and you will love this. I know you like the Paracolites about Dante Rossetti called Dante's Inferno, and okay. you can find it on YouTube, and it's actually really good. Okay. And they filmed it at Red House. They filmed parts of it at Red House anyway. Oh my God. Okay. So I will keep that in mind on the on the watch list. Um, yeah. And just Oliver super... Reed as Rossetti. <laughs> well, did you see? Um, I think it's called Desperate Romantics. I loved it. Were Aiden completely Turner inaccurate, plays. but I loved it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, because the reason why I'm saying any of this for anyone who's listening is because um, Chris and I were talking about our love of Pre-Raphaelites before we started recording, <laughs> so and we're going to have to talk about that again. But um, but Dante Gabriel Rossetti is supposed to be like I think the grandson of Polidori. Polidori, or... they're related. Yeah, yes, I, I'm not sure if he's a grandson or, or what. But something like that. This whole connections between these Italian intellectuals who fled Italy during the various wars of independence and such. But yeah, there's all these connections. Well, and Polidori has that kind of desperate romantic idea too, with, with regard to. I mean, he he. Didn't he commit suicide like in his 20s? He did and, commit suicide, yeah. And yeah, like had all suicide. of this like issues with Byron and like it was like a love-hate friendship or something. And it yeah. was not the healthiest of relationships, shall we say? Frenemies, if you will. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think I seem to remember that he was obsessed with Mary too and tried to kind of woo her when they were down in the Villa Diodati, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. There was a lot going on. But Frankenstein came out of it. Frankenstein came out of it. Yeah, which is so brilliant. Um, 
And here we are all these like over 200 years later still talking about Mary Shelley and her, what is it, what is it, what is it uh, the monster refers to himself as or as the hideous progeny. Yeah. Go forth well, my hideous progeny into the world. Yeah. It has, it's certainly changed the face of, of literature as we know it. It has put a monster in our minds that we've never forgotten, of course. Yeah. We've, and we've all still... a teenager wrote this, you know, it's amazing. And we're not even done with the bananas bonkers, like stories that Mary has going on. Shall we talk about what she kept at her writing desk? <laughs> I was wondering if you wanted to, yeah, she had Percy Shelley's heart in her writing desk. Um, the story is that after he drowned, and you know the story of how he drowned, that he had had built a boat that he was trying to compete with Byron to have one that was bigger than. Oh, of course. I mean, of course, yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't balanced in a way that was very seaworthy. So, um, and nor could he swim. Mm. So he took the boat to go visit Byron. Mm -hmm. and coming back um it sunk and Shelley not being able to swim you can imagine wow it went right. um, they identified his body because he had a volume of Keats that was notated on it so what they did once they found the body was they dragged it to the sand and they burned it or I think what they did was they actually put um some sort of chemicals to dissolve it and they burned it. And the only thing that survived was his heart, mm -hmm. which was then placed inside a jar filled with spirits and eventually brought back to, to Mary as the last thing that she had of her beloved husband. How could we not love such a Gothic macabre, <laughs> you know, like every aspect. I mean, she starts off with mama's grave, then she moves on to this dark yeah. and stormy night. And then she has the husband's heart. Like everything about her life is as compelling as anything that you could write in fiction, you know? <laughs> so. I know, but you know, when it came down to it, again, I'll go back to this. I think Mary Shelley was a survivor. Mm -hmm. She worked really hard to support her family. She had a son with, with uh, Shelley who did survive his, the only, yes. they, I think they had three children. Um, Cause there was the three or four. Um, Cause there was the baby that died, which was just a few days old. And then she had another son named William who died when he was just like still a toddler. And that's a really sad story onto itself that I'm going to really get into. Right. Um, um, and then her surviving son was Percy Florence. And to support him, she basically did whatever she could. Mm -hmm. um, and she wrote whatever was necessary. Like she wrote a lot of things that were just to make money, whether they be like travelogues right. or histories or whatever. And, um, you know, she just, I just always get the sense of her that after she had had this incredibly Rococo childhood and teenagerhood then reality hit her right and she was the one that people came to and could rely upon and so she did she survived what's, what's funny about that son um he she got along really well with the with the woman he married but everyone's always sort of like jane yeah everyone talks about like how boring <laughs> He was by comparison because he well, was they were like thank god could you imagine he was like his father yes. yeah, like he, he, just, was... he went and he inherited the title and everything was fine and she just got along with them all and was really grateful and yeah and it was like very as normal as it could be considering that you have your deceased husband's heart in your desk right right he was just sort of this like athletic 
you know, regular dude who goes on to live a very regular, <laughs> boring life. And, you know, yeah. and exactly yeah, she like loved, oh, she loved the women he married. They got along yeah. really well and it was all good. Oh, goodness. And I mean, like, I think, yeah, I think that's what she needed. Just this element of her life that was super boring. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I she, know. Had, she had other things. I mean, she had like some kind of complicated yeah. friendships and other things. I'm not even going to get into like, it. The rest like, of her life so was much. so full of <laughs> drama was. and and macabre everything that I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm glad she had at least one little sanctuary of just a regular yeah. life. <laughs> yeah, no, and she was very close with her son. And you think about it, I mean, he was the only one who survived of all yeah. the children that she had with Shelley. Um, yeah, I mean, he it's just I'm glad that she had that yes yes well I don't know um I'd like to recommend a book or two I don't know if you have any biographies I do too yeah I wrote a list of books that I could definitely recommend if you want to read about Mary Shelley yes um there's two books that I I mean there's a lot of great ones like the monsters the one that you have is wonderful um I really, really adored Fiona Sampson's In Search of Mary Shelley, the girl who wrote Frankenstein. That's one I highly recommend. Um, The other one that if you're also interested in Mary Wollstonecraft is Charlotte Gordon's Romantic Outlaws, The Extraordinary Lives of Mary Wollstonecraft and Her Daughter Mary Shelley. And that's written in a way that it's alternating chapters between their lives. So you could see the similarities Mm -hmm. um, and how they overlapped. That sounds Um, amazing. It's really wonderful. It's really, really great. So those are two that off the top of my head, I would highly, highly recommend, but there's so many other ones. Oh, so many. There's so many. Like I said, she's just such a fascinating person. Um, I am going to include in the show notes, um, anything, uh, that we've talked about as far as like books to reference and even the goofy movie. Um, (laughs) Uh, I I, I can't, I can't recommend it unless you really, unless you really need to see those nipples that are really eyeballs um (laughs) i actually have a i actually have a list of frankenstein inspired media that i will send to you that you could put in the show notes yeah yeah there's a number of i i put together a book club guide for um for unnatural creatures and i included some that's fantastic we'll include that in the show notes i will include that child's uh biography in case you have kids and you want to introduce your your child to who mary shelley is um did you have something to say about that one I was going to say it's really wonderful it's so sweet yeah I've I've seen that one around I think it won a number of awards it's wonderful yeah and there was there was an uh, Agatha Christie one my son really liked they have all kinds of one there's a David Attenborough and like all kinds of people in there but yeah he really liked the Mary Shelley one um I'm going to recommend to you a biography to our listeners uh written by Dorothy and Thomas Hubler and it's called The Monsters Mary Shelley and the Curse of Frankenstein and this is the one I was talking about a little earlier um because it's basically like a small biography of everybody who was there during that gothic summer and how she came to write Frankenstein in the context of that so you know you do get like the the childhood background even of Byron and Percy by Shelley and John Polidori but it I mean she is the focus of the book um but it's nice to have background on how they all arrived there and how that book came to be written there's also this book um called mary shelley by miranda seymour that i will add in too yeah Yeah. um i in case anyone's wondering you know i mean i am not an authority 
I'm just a fan on Mary Shelley. Um, you know, I invited Chris to talk about this because I knew she had done a lot of research, especially for unnatural creatures, but I think just because you're personally interested as well. I had been saving an anecdote for you. Of course, oh. I told you about my my little, uh, how I came to learn about Mary Shelley and Gothic Summer and, and, and you know, I was wooed off, you know, swept off my feet and, and he used Mary Shelley to do it. <laughs> But one of the things that really compelled me to keep learning about her, and I just thought it was so fascinating, is that I went to the University of Texas, and I transferred into there from a junior college in Corpus Christi, and I was kind of poking around my first semester, just trying to get to know the campus, and I was really interested in an exhibit they had on, on the photographs of Julia Margaret Cameron. And oh. I, I know I was so excited, you know, part of that whole pre-Raphaelite crowd that you and I love so much. Yeah. Right. And I was so <laughs> excited because I thought, oh, you know, I'd have to go to England or somewhere big and fancy to see these photographs. I was very pleased to learn that the Harry Ransom center, um, where this exhibit was, is, you know, had this amazing collection. And that is when I learned that they had, the Harry Ransom Center, for anyone who doesn't know, at the University of Texas is an extraordinary humanities research center. The British Library gets very angry with them because they have lots of things they want. So, um, But one of the things they had on exhibit um, around this time was the Lee Hunt collection, like his hair collection. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. So I saw, and I had no idea that this was going to happen. I'm just sort of poking around because they also have, so they had the main exhibit of the Julia Margaret Cameron stuff, but then they have stuff that like in another section that was just sort of out, um, like these are things in our collection and they randomly show us like stuff that's in their collection. They had a Frida Kahlo painting and some other things. And I'm just poking around going there to, to see the, the camera and stuff. And then whoop, there is this lock of Mary Shelley's hair right in a case in front of my face. And I'm going, <gasps> <laughs> I stopped in my tracks and it was sitting next to, they had a locket of Poe's hair too. Um, oh, wow. and I've seen a, a photograph of that locket before in a biography of him. And there it was in front of my face. And I was just looking at that, that lock of Mary Shelley's hair going, that was, that was on her head. Like, this is the closest thing I'll ever come to meeting her and, and everything. And so I just, I, I just, from that point on was even more compelled to learn more about her. Um, so I was just very fortunate to have the Harry Ransom Center there that made it easy to do because they have a lot of stuff, but also that A&E biography and some other things came out. Mm -hmm. You have access to something or have had access to something that is similar as far as like, you've seen her grave. I haven't seen Mary Shelley's grave. No, oh. but I visited Elizabeth Siddle's grave. I think oh, that's what you're okay, of. that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, it was Elizabeth Siddle's grave. I visited in Highgate because I was obsessed with Dante Rossetti and Elizabeth Siddle. Um, but I am going to the UK this summer, and I do plan to that's do a Mary is. Shelley tour. Yes, okay, I knew it factored in. Because I'm like, planning nope. to go. I'm planning to go to Edinburgh, where she had lived for a while when she was a teenager. And I'm planning to go to Bath where she finished writing Frankenstein. And there's kind of like the Mary Shelley experience or something there, which I thought it's probably pretty cheesy, but I'm going to go and I'll be in London as well. So I'm hoping to like shoot some video and things along the way while I'm over there. 
Oh my gosh. I've actually yeah. been to Bath, but I, you know, I was so overwhelmed because I was in England basically for four days when I graduated oh, from college. That's nothing. I know. <laughs> there was so like much. Four days, you just only get over your jet lag. <laughs> you, I was so tired. <laughs> was yeah, so tired, yeah. but they had this deal when I graduated from college, I just happened to have, uh, access to a plane ticket where it was $400 round trip after tax, um, to oh, go gosh. to London and it, but you're only there for four days and I'm like, whatever I'll go because uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> it was, a, it was wow. a big deal. And so I wound up like I always do, you know, like I just met up with friends and stayed with them and they drove me around and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they, yeah, I had no idea that that was in, you know, like to look for Mary Shelley stuff. And I'm so glad, like sad, I didn't go to Highgate. So I'm so excited that you get to. Um, I, I, I've done the Paraphilite tour a number of times. <sighs> I, I can't, I just love all that. And now I'll be going over there doing the Mary Shelley tour. What can I say? I'm just very excited. Um, but I had, I did get to see, and this is something I think that will make you swoon a bit, Agatha. Um, that there was this wonderful exhibit at the Pierpont Morgan of Mary, about Mary Shelley for the Bicentennial of Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. And I think that they they had some of the original manuscripts from Frankenstein. And of course they had the chapter, which wow. because you know, it was on a night in November, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it was just such a thrill to see her handwriting. Oh my gosh, isn't that amazing? Like yeah. Just knowing that she touched that page and you know, ah. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. That that's so exciting. Um, and they well, also yes, had the, the big centerpiece was the huge painting of Fuseli's The Nightmare. Well, when you go and you take pictures, we'll have to share some of those with our listeners because I think they'll be very excited to hear that. Show um, notes. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and you, we're going to have you back to talk about Unnatural Creatures, which comes out Absolutely. in um, October. Give our listeners a quick little bit about what they can expect from that. Oh, right. What could they can expect? Um, um, it's, a re- it's, it's a retelling of Frankenstein from the point of view of the three women closest to Victor Frankenstein, his mother, Caroline, mm-hmm. his bride-to-be, Elizabeth Lavenza, where I always think of the bride of Frankenstein, and his servant, Justine Moritz. It's taken me three years to write this book, so it was a real labor of love. Um, and basically, my intention in writing was to reveal the untold stories of the women of Frankenstein while incorporating the revolutionary events of that era. But we'll talk more about how history connects. Um, but I really think that there are all these layers to Mary Shelley's story that definitely inform Frankenstein, because I know that they informed my retelling, you know, her experiences with paternal loss, her experiences with difficult parental relationships. Um, as well as, you know, her loss of her husband and just feeling so alone in the world. Uh, I also traveled quite a bit to research it. I went to Geneva. I did visit the grounds of the, of the Villa Diodati. Oh I have some gosh. photographs of those. I knew it was amazing. And they named the, the street where it is, it's called the Rue Byron. So that was kind of fun. Of course, you had to take photographs of the street. Yes. Sign. Rue Byron, woohoo. Um, <laughs> And so basically any place that's mentioned in Frankenstein that is within distance of Geneva, I went, like I went to the Mer de Glace, I went to Mont Blanc, I went to Belle Reve where the Frankenstein had their, their country house and even Shane, which those of you who have read Frankenstein will probably recognize that location. Um, so it was just really like a deep dive into all things Frankenstein. And I, I loved writing it, it was really intense. 
um, because it is such a dark story, but Mm -hmm. I hope that, I I just hope that I've done it justice. So, oh, no doubt. That's basically what I've done. Well, stay tuned for that, everybody. I'm also going to have her on um, like a bonus episode where she talks about uh, self-publishing versus traditional publishing because she has a long history with traditional publishing and will be venturing out on on a self-publishing adventure with this novel. So um, stay tuned for that. And, um, you know, we can't wait to hear from you again. Thanks for coming on the show. Oh, thanks. It's been such a pleasure. Take care. Thanks for joining us today on She Wore Black. You can follow the show on Instagram and Twitter if you follow the links on our website at sheworeblackpodcast.com. We have some great episodes coming your way, so be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts. You can also support the podcast by shopping at our online bookstore at bookshop.org slash shop slash sheworeblack. Every purchase you make through our storefront, be it the books on my lists or any books you find in a search from our front page, will support the cost that goes into show production as well as supporting independent bookstores nationwide. Thanks again for joining us today and happy reading. Mm-hmm.